Hey everybody, I'm excited about today's message. Welcome to Healing University. The teaching that I have on my heart today is a continuation of our in-depth teaching in regards to receiving, walking in, and ministering healing to your family and to your friends. I'm Pastor Dwayne Sheriff, and in this particular session, I'm going to share on the Lord's Supper and how that healing is revealed within the elements at the table of the Lord's Supper. Again, the Lord's Supper is commonly within the Christian faith called communion, and God has revealed within the communion elements a new kind of life, a new way of life, and hopefully by faith, as we mix faith with these communion elements, then we'll see the power of God in our lives to live a life that's pleasing to God and that brings glory to Jesus. Again, this is session 15 in section 1, and I believe that you're going to be blessed. The communion table that, as Christians, we approach is the continuation, if you will, of ancient Israel's Passover meal. You'll recall in Exodus chapter 12 that when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, a type of the world, he instituted a Passover meal. And God's amazing grace is revealed in that Passover meal. And the people of Israel, the people of God's simple childlike faith in the amazing grace of God. Two major elements were revealed in that first Passover meal. And one was the blood. The other was the lamb. And in simplicity, they were to slay the lamb, take the blood, put it on the top of the door in the side post, and the angel of death would pass over their homes and God would deliver them from the consequences of their sins and he would be merciful to them in forgiving them. And then there's something pretty powerful in Exodus chapter 12. The Lord says, make sure you eat the lamb. Get the lamb on the inside of you. And every home, every family had to have the whole lamb on the inside of them. And God, the next day, the next morning, delivered them. And it was awesome how that in that deliverance, I'm going to show you as we go through the scriptures. And I'll conclude here with this Passover meal that Israel experienced. That they were not only forgiven of their sins. They were supernaturally healed by the power of God. And that's a part of what communion is. Communion is something that Israel, again, looked forward to the cross and it had great power in it. And it was symbols and types and shadows. We, the people of God, at the communion table, at the Lord's Supper, we look back to the cross. And those two symbols have great power and deliverance in our lives. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 declares that Jesus is our Passover meal. Jesus is the substance and total fulfillment of whatever that first Passover meal was that God said his people would celebrate forever, that we now, as the people of God, continue to celebrate, that within that, Jesus brought substance to all those types and shadows. It's a pretty powerful statement that Jesus made in John chapter 6, verses 53 through 56. He said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Boy, that sent shockwaves across the congregation or that that if you will, gathering of people. It even shook the disciples at their very core. And the scripture said that what Jesus said about eating his flesh and drinking his blood was a hard saying. What does it mean to eat the flesh of Jesus? What does it mean? What did he mean to drink his blood? 
I'm telling you, we today at large are probably as confused as that crowd was when Jesus made that statement. And yet we we don't have to be. We shouldn't be. God wants to reveal to us what it means as his people to eat his very flesh and drink his very blood. And that's what happens at the communion, the communion table. How do we do that? What does it mean to eat the flesh of Jesus and to drink his blood? In simplicity, Jesus was just saying that you have to and I have to mix faith with what his blood provided and the benefits of his shed blood. And we have to mix faith with the giving of his body. And what does his body provide for us as the people of God? To eat the flesh of Jesus is to appropriate by faith in my everyday life. What his body was broken for and why was his body broken? And I'm telling you, this is a powerful truth that I thank God that he's revealed to me and to many of his people. I believe he wants to show you why his body was broken. I also need to mix faith again with the blood of Jesus and appropriate the forgiveness of my sins. Just because I'm forgiven doesn't mean I'm experiencing the power of forgiveness in my life of all of my sins. Past tense, present tense. And future tense. And when I come to the table, it is a powerful thing when we mix faith with the elements, the cup, the bread. There's no power in and of themselves, but there's power in remembering. There's power in mixing faith with that cup and what was provided through the shed blood of Jesus Christ at the cross and mixing faith with that bread and what was provided now in an experiential, extended way of his body in the earth today. So let's look at this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where I'll begin. And I believe this will be a blessing to you again if you'll open your heart. Now, this is my phone and I've, I've got my, my Bible app on here. And so these have different translations. You just need to know I'm not on Facebook right now. Amen. And I'm not Twittering or on Twitter or Snapchat or any of those things. I'm reading my Bible from my phone. Okay. All right. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to begin in verse 23, but you need to read the verses, verses 17 through 22. And it's only because of time constraints that I'm not reading those now. But if you'll read those, you'll find that these Christians, this local body of the Lord Jesus Christ or local church, they were experiencing great divisions among them. There was strife still among them. And when they had designated time to celebrate the Lord's Supper, Many of them were coming and just eating up the elements, eating up the bread and the, and the drink. And, and they weren't waiting for each other. and They weren't prefer, preferring each other. They were actually using the table just to have a free meal, if you will. And Paul is setting all this in order when he starts in verse 23 and how dangerous it was that they weren't respecting the Lord's Supper, that they weren't coming to the table with reverence. And understanding this is a sacrament. It's a holy thing that is thousands. Think about this communion that we as Christians partake of. The Lord's Supper is thousands of years old. And when we come to the table, we are celebrating the very life and labor and love of Jesus Christ himself. Just like your meal represents something in your home. Food doesn't just fall out of the sky at my house. It doesn't just appear supernaturally when there's food on the table that that food on that table represents my life I've I'm exchanging my life for something and I have an income that comes from that exchange and then I'm able to buy food cook it and put it on the table that 
That table, my table represents my labor, my work. And it represents my love for my family and for my friends that I invite. God has invited us to his table. And his table represents his very life and we're partaking by faith of the life of Jesus at the Lord's table we're partaking of his labor why did he come what did he do what does it mean to me and I'm to remember that and of course his love I had an experience in 1980 and I want to share that before I read this because I had an open vision of the cross and I saw the gospel I not only saw Jesus on the cross I saw my identification with Jesus I supernaturally saw Jesus but I saw me in Jesus and I saw God punish Jesus for my sins in his flesh. I saw who and what I was in Adam as a sinner died when he died. I supernaturally saw my old life, my old identification with Adam buried with Jesus when he was buried. And when he was raised, I was raised. And when he ascended, I ascended, but it wasn't the same me before I was crucified on the cross. It was like a new me united to Christ and I was seated in heavenly places with Christ. And the Lord spoke to me how that through him and by him I would rule and reign in this life through Jesus Christ. And that's what happened to me in 1980. And for months, I don't even remember how many months I couldn't take communion without just bawling. I mean, profusely crying. It was embarrassing. I, I had got married to, to Sue, and, and so we were attending church together. It was in her apartment that I'd had the open vision, and then quite a few months later, we got married and went into ministry immediately. And again, I would look at those elements, and I would just fall apart because I knew they mean something. They represent something. We're not just going through religious rhetoric here at this time table. We're not just going through a routine. We're not just filling up time in a service. This, this represents Jesus's very life and him giving his life has affected me profoundly and my new identification. This table represents his labor, his work on my behalf at the cross that brought this amazing grace that it was, this, it was as if waves of that grace kept just pouring over me. And then that table, I'd look at it and it rep represents his unconditional love for me, that he, he loved me when I was yet a sinner. And that because of his love, I can love people now through and by him. So this was powerful in my life. And I remember in one service, I was bawling again. And my wife, Sue, hit me with her elbow and said, you're going to have to get your act together. <laughs> and I appreciated that because I needed to get my composure together. I didn't need to be sobbing at church. But I don't want to ever lose the reality of when I come to that table, when you dear ones come to that table, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you are partaking by faith of his life, labor and love. And so let's look at what Paul said as we partake in faith. He says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take heed. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It is amazing how we at large have missed the reality of him breaking that bread, that one loaf of bread and breaking that bread. And now it multiplying a piece of bread went into the heart and life of this believer and this believer and this believer. So that one body of Jesus is now being multiplied through the breaking of the bread. 
He says, in the same manner also, he took the cup after supper, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. That is so important. Many people have read these passages and misunderstood them as if we're not worthy to come to the table. And that's causing some of these consequences that Paul mentions later in these passages. He's not talking about our worthiness to come to the table. If you're born again, if you're a child of God, Jesus has made you worthy to partake of every blessing, every promise that he ever has made. And you receive all of those by faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus did, not your own performance, not your own conduct, etc., etc. He says, you do show if you drink this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So he's not saying this to drive people away from the table. He's saying, here's how you come to the table in proper manner. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now you're going to have to underline this. Not discerning the Lord's body. That is so important. And yet I have dealt with believers my entire ministerial life who just read right over that. He said, you're not discerning the Lord's body for this reason, coming to the table in an unworthy manner and not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. Many sleep there literally means dying prematurely. Now, let me just say this to you before we dig into this. It is not such a strange statement to think of humanity being weak, sick, and dying prematurely or sleeping, not fulfilling a long life and the number of days being satisfied with the Lord. When you look at the world at large, those out of the kingdom of God, those that are not in Christ but are still in Adam, it is commonplace for everybody to be weak. It is commonplace for everybody to be sick. And it's commonplace that people are dying all around us prematurely. These are the consequences, unintended consequences of sin in the world. I'm sure many before me, this is the 15th session of section one, and I'm sure my good brothers and sisters that have taught before me have shared how that there is sin in the world, and because of sin in the world, sin is causing all this weakness, all this sickness, all this disease, all this premature death. And so, again, in sin and in Adam, that is commonplace in the world. And what Paul is saying is here you are. As the people of God that have been delivered from Egypt, the type of the world. God has translated you from the powers of darkness and delivered you from those powers and translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. That cup and the forgiveness we have is a part of being in the kingdom of God now, made the very righteousness of God and in 
fellowship and relationship with God and now with one another that it it shouldn't be commonplace for every Christian and every local church, if you will, to be weak and to be sickly and to have people dying prematurely. He's saying because of the life of Jesus, the labor of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and what these two elements have provided for us, we shouldn't be weak like those who don't know God, and we shouldn't be sickly like those who do not know God, and we should live long and fulfill the purposes of God that he has for us in this life. And so he was challenging them that, hey, the way you're coming to the table, the way you're approaching the table with all this division, all this strife, you're dishonoring the poor, you're not recognizing the body of Christ for this reason. That's why even as a Christian, just like the world, many of us are weak, sickly and dying prematurely. So God wants to reverse that at the table and we be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might through the life of Jesus and through what has been made available in the forgiveness of our sins and that we again would be healthy and we again would live long on the earth. So why were they weak? sickly and many asleep or dying prematurely because they were approaching the table unworthily. And then how, how were they approaching it that made it unworthily? They were not discerning the Lord's body. Now that has to sink in. I'm not trying to be critical or mean, but I'm telling you most people when they take communion, think of the blood and they remember the blood. And if you ask most Christians, what is the blood a type of and what does the blood provide for us? They're going to tell you that's the blood of Jesus and that was shed for the remission of all of our sins. And that when we mix faith with the blood, we're forgiven of all our sins. But then ask them, what does the bread represent? You can't get a clear answer. You won't get a clear answer, I guarantee, if you go to the average Christian. And at best, all they think of is the body of Jesus. Now, I want that to sink in. At best, all they think of is the body of Jesus. And Paul said the reason we're weak, sickly, and dying prematurely is we're not discerning the body. He didn't say we weren't discerning the blood. Everybody I know, every denomination I know that is a Christian denomination discerns the blood. He didn't say our problem was discerning the blood. He said our problem was discerning the body. To discern is to see it is to perceive. It is to understand. One translation of that passage says, you're not recognizing the body of Christ. Another translation says, you're not honoring the body of Christ. Dear ones, listen to me. Please look at me. This is huge. And I believe it has a lot of depth. And I am laboring right now under the grace of God. And I've prayed and asked God to help me make this simple because it's profound in its application, we have to discern the bread, and Jesus said it was his body. Most at best, again, look at the bread, and all they think of is the body of Jesus, and even that, they don't see what his body has provided. They don't understand the body of Christ. They don't understand or discern. They don't recognize, listen, and they don't honor the body of Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk you quickly through what does it mean to discern the body? How do we discern the body? What's he talking about in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, 
He said, you're not discerning the body and that's why you're weak. You're not discerning the body, the bread. That's why you're sick. You're not discerning the body and that's why you're seeing premature death even in the body of Christ like you see in the world that hasn't even received of the blood and body of Jesus. So let's go back to chapter 10. I'm not being a smart aleck, though I have to deal with that in my flesh. But chapter 10 came before 11. We're going to look at that and see what it says about bread. Then we're going to look at chapter 12. That comes after chapter 11. So whatever chapter 10 says about the bread, the body of Christ, and chapter 12 says about the body of Christ, that's what we're supposed to discern in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. So let's do that quickly here. Go to, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 15. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 15. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? That is so easy and everybody gets it. If you ask people, what is the blood? What in communion and what do we communion with by faith and mix faith with in order to receive our forgiveness? They'll tell you the blood of Jesus. And they're 100% accurate. Now look, look at the next, the next part of that verse. The bread which we break. The bread which we break. The bread which we break. And please bear with me. I'm, I'm not insulting people's intelligence and I'm not trying to speak to everybody like a two-year-old, but I'm going over and over it again because I assure you, most of you that are watching right now have not discerned the Lord's body and you're approaching the communion elements unworthily and God wants to reverse that starting right now. So he says the bread we break, he's talking about communion, the Lord's Supper. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Look at the next verse. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. He just said that we, you, dear brothers and sisters, are the bread. You are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come to partake of the communion elements, we're supposed to remember, recognize, honor, and see this represents the body of Christ. And in a local church, if you will, it represents like one loaf of bread and we break, which is Jesus. The bread is Jesus. But we break the bread and it multiplies and one Christian eats the bread. Another Christian eats the bread. And now that local body is one bread and one body. We are the body of Christ. And if you don't discern that, if you don't see your new identification in Christ, then that you're not just somebody who decided to follow Jesus and you can do your own thing and you're independent of a union with Jesus and independent of the body of Christ, you're going to experience all that the world experiences that Jesus delivered you from. But when you see we are the body of Christ, Jesus is the head of the body. Once you discern that the body is not one member, just Jesus, but the body is many members that Jesus is the head of, now you understand how we have authority as his body to... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We have the authority now to rebuke sickness, etc., etc. But most people do not discern the body. They 
they criticize the body of Christ. They're they're negative about the body of Christ, just like these people in 1 Corinthians 11 were divisive. They didn't honor other members of the body of Christ. They didn't wait for anybody. It's all about me and I'm going to eat up all these elements because I just found me a free meal. That is how most believers live their life. They don't see the value of the church. They don't see the power of the church. They don't see their union with Jesus and their new identity in Jesus and our new identity with the body of Christ. I am not the body of Christ. I am a member of the body of Christ. And discerning that opens the door for strength in my life, for health in my life, and to live a long life serving God. All right, now let's go to chapter to chapter 12 that comes after, again, chapter 11. And, and he talks about the bread. He talks about the body. He says, but the manifestations of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Wow, right there. I just lost a lot of people. That everything God has done in your life, everything God has done in my life is not just for my profit. It's for the profit of the body. Most people never get their mind new to it's not just about you and Jesus. It's about you and his body on the earth and an assignment we have from God to love one another and to flow together in the things of God that we might be a witness of Jesus in the earth. He says to each one, the prophet for all, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individual as he wills. It didn't say to one, just me, is given all these gifts. It didn't say just to you is given all these gifts. It said to you is given one, to the cameraman's given one, to people in the sound booth is given one, to me is given one. And the Spirit has divvied out all of these gifts of the Spirit so that we now can, if you will, not only be dependent upon God and live in union with God, we need to understand our dependency upon one another. Well, that is so powerful. I can't be doing what I'm doing right now had a, it had not been for the benevolence of Andrew Walmack, of which I want to give a shameless thank you even at this moment, because I appreciate the opportunity to get to share what Jesus has done in my heart. And so I give him thank you. Without him, I wouldn't even be here right now sharing. Without the cameraman and his gifts, I couldn't do what I'm doing. Without the sound booth, on and on we could go. And yet most people go to church and never see their identification with Jesus and their identification with one another. Their need for Jesus and our need for each other in the body of Christ and learning to honor each other and respect each other. He goes on to say... In verse 12, for as the body is one, the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many or one body, so also is Christ. Christ is not one body. Christ is not one member and one body. Jesus is the head of the body of Christ. He's not the whole body of Christ. He's the head of the body of Christ, and most don't discern this. 
And for that cause, there's weakness and sickness and dying prematurely because we're not accessing and honoring the different members of the body of Christ and loving each other and operating in our forgiveness and not only being forgiven because of the blood. Now I can forgive everybody in the body of Christ and I can receive from the spirit in every member of the body of Christ. And that'll make me strong and healthy. And it'll also cause me to live long and fulfill the, pres uh, the purpose of God in my life. He goes on in verse 13. For by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. I'm going to read it again. Verse 14 says, the body is not one member, but many. Jesus is a member of his body that is many He's the head of his body, not the whole body. His body got broke. And then by faith, we receive him into our life and you receive him into your life. And while the body is one, it's not one member. It's many member. And because people don't discern this, Paul said, that's why things aren't working for us. It's why we're experiencing no no more than the world is experiencing. That's how powerful discerning the body is in our lives. He goes on to talk about the foot, which is a part of the body. Can't say because I'm a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Is it therefore not a part of the body? Or the ear should say because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing? Where would be the hearing? If the whole body was the hearing, where would be the smelling? He's trying to make the point, just like the human body is one but has many members, the body of Christ is one with many members, Jesus being the head of that body. And I'm telling you, I've seen people my whole life criticize the body of Christ, not realizing how they're canceling out the power of God in their life to be strong, healed, and live long. Judge the body of Christ. Criticize the body of Christ. Run down the body of Christ. Have nothing to say. I know of born-again, spirit-filled pastors that have nothing good to say about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they wonder why they are weak and sickly and dying prematurely. The Bible gives us the answer to this. If we don't discern the body, then we're opening ourselves up to these other things. Converse of that is true. When you discern the body, that Jesus is the head and we are his body in the earth, members in particular, now I find my place in the grace of God. I embrace grace in my life and I flow as an ear or as an eye. And as an ear or an eye, I'm not puffed up. I'm not independent of the body. I see my need for the smelling. I see my need for the foot. I see my need for the hand. Well, I'm trying to make this simple. It's so simple. I don't know how we've missed it. But I'm telling you, most believers within the sound of my voice, and I'm not trying to be mean or critical, I'm telling you and asking you, do you discern this? Do you go to church even? Do you know how many people, even in Bible schools, don't attend church? They don't see their need for church. They don't see the need for the local body. They have absolutely broke the commandments of God while they're even in Bible school. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but to provoke one another to love and to good works as you see the day approaching. We're under commandment not to forsake the assembling of ourselves, forsake the sacraments, forsake community, forsake 
a local body because that body is the very body of Jesus of which he is the head. And every local body is to be the full expression of Jesus in a community. This is huge, man. And I just pray you're really receiving this and opening your heart. He goes on to make a profound statement here. He said, but now God has sent each one of us or of them in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Now, listen to this. But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. There are many members. I mean, he said it over. Many members, one body. And yet people approach the communion table and they don't discern the body. They don't understand Jesus's body was broke so it could be multiplied in the earth of which he would become the head now in the earth. He says, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. How many people as Christians, because of their gift grace and because of God even using them, say they don't need other members of the body? How many of us in leadership don't see our, our need for other members and other leaders in the body? That's not discerning the body. He says, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Jesus is the head, and the Bible says he can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. Boy, you need to let that sink in. Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, is the head of the church, which is his body. And Paul said Jesus can't say to one of the seemingly, seemingly dishonored among us a foot, a member in the body of Christ, he won't and can't say to that foot, I have no need of you. Jesus has need of all the members of his body because he's the head of the body, not all the members. Verse 27 amplifies it again, and I've spent a little time in this. He says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29. Because you're not discerning the Lord's body for this cause, for this reason, many are weak, sick, and dying prematurely. So what are we to see, perceive, recognize, and honor at the communion table? That Jesus is the head of his body and we give him worship. We give him absolute praise and thanksgiving, but we also now at that table must recognize that all of God's people are a part now of the very body of Christ in the earth. And that'll, that'll cause healing and strength and long life to spring forth. In Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul saw this on the road to Damascus. He saw the believer's identity with Jesus and just how united we are to Jesus and then he experienced something with Ananias in a healing that connected to discerning the body. Let me read this to you real quick. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 9. Saul of Tarsus has been persecuting the church. He is God's public enemy number one with killing Christians, imprisoning Christians. He stood at the feet of of Stephen and stirred up a mob in chapter chapter uh, 7 of Acts and held the coats of them that killed 
One of the first deacons in the first century church that was just an awesome man of God. In chapter 8, he goes on and it goes on to talk about him persecuting and scattering the Christians abroad because of his threatenings. Chapter 9 opens up with him threatening the church. Listen at chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed and came near Damascus, suddenly a light shone round him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul had never met Jesus in the flesh. Saul had never persecuted Jesus in his earthly ministry and walk on the shores of Galilee. And yet he has this supernatural encounter with the glorified Jesus of the Bible. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was confused and said, who are you, Lord? He recognized this was God. He sensed it was God, this unapproachable light. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I don't know if you've caught that yet. I don't know if you've meditated in that long enough to really let the Holy Spirit show you what Paul saw on the road to Damascus, because you and I must see it by revelation. It's what I saw in an open vision again in 1980 is that Jesus is united to his church. We are his very body in the earth. Ephesians 5.30 says we're flesh of Jesus's flesh and bone of his bones. First Corinthians 6.17 says he that's joined to the Lord is one spirit. We are united to Jesus himself and to one another in Jesus. And Jesus took his persecution of the church personally. He didn't say, Saul, you're persecuting my church. That would have been accurate. It wouldn't have been incorrect. But it wouldn't have conveyed the revelation of Saul. What you're doing to Christians, you're doing to me. Your hatred for Christians is a manifested hatred for me. Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, did not discern the Lord's body. He got a revelation, a divine encounter with God, where he saw, he perceived that the body of Jesus is the church on the earth and that he had been persecuting Jesus personally, not just a bunch of Christians. What is really cool is that in verses 9 through 11, he got a revelation of the body of Christ that was united to Jesus. And he saw in a vision a man named Ananias coming and laying his hands on him that he might receive his sight. So in verses one through five, he didn't discern the body. And man, that was serious. Then he got the revelation and he discerned the people of God, Christians, are the very body and extension of Jesus' body, different members in particular in the earth. So he, by discerning the body, yielded, and instead of persecuting and prosecuting Ananias, he now submits to Ananias as a member of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he received his healing for his sight. Had he not discerned the body, and that God uses his body to implement his will in the earth, 
he would have missed out on his healing like so many people today miss out on theirs. So I want to encourage you in that. Let me give just a quick number of examples again in closing. Matthew 25, verses 40 through 46. It's the day of judgment. And Jesus looks at the righteous on one side and the unrighteous on the other side. And he speaks to the righteous, those who know him, those who've given their life to him. He said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drank. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you were hospitable to me. I was sick. This is Jesus speaking. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. That is profound. Even the righteous in the day of judgment said, Lord, when did we do all this? And he said, if you've done it under the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. That is huge. I don't know what people see or perceive or recognize when they read that. But in simplicity, he just said how we treat one another is how we treat the Lord. That's why we need to be kind to one another. We need to be merciful to one another. We need to honor one another in that original Chapter 11 of the Lord's Supper, that's what Saul, or excuse me, Paul, was saying to the church is you've got to honor one another now at the table and recognize we are the body. Then he talks about to the unrighteous, you refused to feed me when I was hungry. You refused to give me drink when I was thirsty. You refused to clothe me when I was naked. You refused to be hospitable to me when I was a stranger. You refused to visit me when I was sick and in prison. And they said, when did we refuse you in all these things? He said, if you've done it unto the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it unto me. Wow, that's not just theology. That's not just theory. How we treat one another is how we're treating the Lord. And can you imagine if we treated one another as we would treat the Lord himself? We should because we're all united to him in Christ now. In Exodus chapter 12, I opened with the Passover meal and how that they had to take the blood and put it over the top of the door and the side post and they had to eat the lamb and they had to eat all of it. Excuse me. Every family by faith had to apply the blood to their house and God forgave them and the angel of death passed over. Every family had to eat the lamb and get it on the inside of them. And eat the whole lamb. One lamb was distributed to that family. And so one lamb, one body was, was in type and shadow represented that was many members. When we're partaking of that one bread, it's the life of Jesus. It's the lamb of God, the bread of life that's come down from heaven. And it's distributed equally now throughout the body. There's a profound statement about Israel coming out of Egypt. In Psalms, the book of Psalms, it's in chapter, if you will, 105. 105. Listen to verse 36. He also destroyed all the firstborn in their land, the first of all their strength. He also brought them out with silver and gold. Now listen, and there was not one feeble one among them. Man, I pray you're looking at this and I pray you honor the word of God and the authority of God's word in your life. That just said when God delivered Israel 
out of Egypt, there was not one feeble one among them. Something supernaturally happened that night in the Passover meal. They not only applied the blood by faith and the angel of death passed over and they were forgiven. They ate the lamb. They ate all of the lamb and were instructed to eat every bit of it and not leave any of it. And if your family wasn't big enough, go get some extra people, but eat all of that lamb. The next morning they came out, not one feeble one among them. We don't even know how many, either hundreds of thousands of people there were, or maybe millions. They came out of Egypt, but it was a miracle that they were all healed. Let me close with this. Matthew, Matthew 15 Matthew 15, verse 22 through about 30, Jesus encounters a Canaanite woman whose daughter is possessed with demons and is in need of healing and deliverance. And she asked the Lord concerning her daughter to heal her. And the Lord made a startling statement, something that causes pause in my own heart and life. Because if you study the life of Jesus... He never turned anyone down for healing. And all of a sudden, something different happened. He looked at the woman and he said that he was called to the lost sheep of Israel and that it wasn't right or proper to take the children's bread, children's bread, and give it to dogs. She was a Gentile. She was not a part of the house of Israel. She had no covenant with God. And Jesus was sent to the Jew first. And then he would come to the Gentile. And yet she had such faith. She looked at Jesus and said, Yea, Lord, Mm -hmm. even the dogs get the crumbs that fall under the master's table. And Jesus was just, I mean, he was astounded. And he said, Great is your faith. Be it unto you as you have believed. And her daughter was healed that selfsame hour and delivered from demons. Jesus called healing children's bread. And that woman got healed And her daughter healed, if you will, on a crumb. Hmm. I'm telling you, when we come to the Lord's table, we're not coming just to get a crumb. Jesus has become the entire loaf to you and I as his people. And when we partake of that bread, there's healing in that bread. When we partake of that bread, it's like we're eating the whole lamb and it's getting on the inside of us. I believe that the Lord has shown me that every local church is like that family in Israel. And that we come together as a local body and we partake of the blood and bread of Jesus. And when we do that, it strengthens us and we see great and mighty things. I want to pray for you. And I pray this has been a blessing to you and that you would you would receive it into your heart. Father, thank you for these precious people. Thank you for their lives, their families, their homes. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins and the blood of Jesus. And we mix faith with that. Thank you for that bread that there's one body but many members. And today, Holy Spirit, I ask you to help us discern the body. And I thank you for strengthening us, healing us, and giving us long life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. So I brought some.
They just assume people know mm -hmm. the and yeah. we don't. So it was kind of weird for me because in Catholic, mm -hmm. it's it's a weekly thing. Yeah. But they don't break it. Mm -hmm. They, um, I mean, some churches will have. You could tell they're kind of. Now the priest does break it up on the altar, right? But he doesn't break it. Yeah, they don't touch it either, do they? Doesn't he like put it on the? That is the way it should be done, but okay. you know, like you can take it in your hand, oh, okay. you can dip it, you can, okay. yeah, there's a, <laughs> all kinds of rituals, huh? Uh, but, but you're right, the great typically thing. they are supposed to just be in the time. Fortunately, we can do this any time of day, any time by ourselves. We don't have to have a priest. We have a high priest. We have Jesus. He is our high priest. And, um. So communion is never anything that should make us feel guilty or condemned. It should be a remembrance of Jesus and his goodness and what he's done for us, his body and his blood given for us out of his great love for us. And so, one of the things that my mom, and I don't know if this is true, it's mm -hmm. some thing they made up, but if, let's say, my parents got to a fight before church, they would not go off and receive the bread. Because of guilt and condemnation. Yeah. 
like you weren't allowed to go up and do it unless you were invited. Yeah. And you know, there's also been um, some revelation that's come that, you know, when, when I know he started this out talking about Israel, and you know, and when you think back to the temple, when the priest, when the, when the people would bring the lamb to the priest, the priest didn't examine the person. He examined the lamb. Mm -hmm. And so, now when we come to the Lord's table, the Lord's not examining us. He's examining Jesus, who we're in. And He is that perfect lamb, slain for us. And so that's, that was a game changer for me because I used to think, yeah, I remember if I went out and partied on the weekend, I was going to go up there and take communion on Sunday. And that was in a Baptist church, you know, just because, you know, you know, you never know. <laughs> you know, you, if you break, if you drink, if you drink, you take it unworthy. See, I didn't know See, that I as a Catholic. As a Catholic, it's only that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I thought unworthy meant I wasn't worthy. Yes. So That's if I had called. messed up, I couldn't go take communion because it would cause damnation to come on me. Well, I was scared, you know. Not today. <laughs> Not today, today, you know. Till I repented and went up there and wailed and cried and all that. So that's where our misconception just was that that's not what the Word says. So a revelation of knowing that it's because of Jesus and it's not what we do. It's not our performance, but it's His. And we can come boldly to that throne of grace and take communion and receive from Him. So, yeah, guilt and condemnation has kept many people from partaking of something that God designed to be a blessing to us. I do the wine too, and I was thinking in my head, I'm like, when I was younger, I didn't like the taste of wine. Yeah. So, you know, my mom's like, well, you and you know, Catholics don't, they all drink out of the same cup. Right, yeah. Like as well. Yeah. Gosh, in the COVID days. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what they did during the COVID time. I know. But um, what was interesting about that is I would, um, I would skip it. Yeah. I mean, my mom said I could dip it, and I, as I got older, I, I yeah. could dip it. Yeah. But, um, but as I, and then I was thinking, there's so many people that probably do the same thing, or like I said, don't drink. I'm just surprised mm -hmm. Catholics use that they've never moved or offered both. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just kind of yeah. interesting. Uh, interesting. How different everybody is. And how Born again. Part of the body. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else? Can I share anything? Looks like I break. I think it's Rico Bronson. Fruit. <laughs> 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 it's on a lot